Hello everyone, it's John here. Just to let you know, there are some audio oddities on this episode due to circumstances beyond our control. I've tried to do the best I can to make things work well, but basically Alison's track might sound a little different than what you're used to. Hopefully it doesn't impede your enjoyment of our quality content. On to the show! Hello everyone and welcome to the very 76th episode of Octothorpe. This episode is coming to you on the 2nd of February 2023. I'm John Coxon. I'm Alison Scott. And I'm Liz Batty. And today we have some letters of comment for you all. And the first one is Tammy Coxon, who says that she was all set to bring If I Ran the Zoo Con to EasterCon for us, but you all went and bought it instead. But Liz, I believe you have some news on that front. Yeah, so what I have is a tab open to the page where I will buy a copy of If They Ran the Zoocon, and I just haven't got around to it. I've got a lot of tabs open, to be fair. Liz's approach to life is just to have tabs open and hope by osmosis they will translate into action. Yeah, pretty much. No, I just keep opening tab and thinking, oh, I should do that, and then doing something else instead and not quite getting around to it. <laughs> that makes sense. That makes sense. I have too many tabs open, uh, by which I mean one. But I am going to action it. Is this a cue for me to send you a screenshot of all my tabs or definitely don't do that? It would probably make me sad, but I'm. Uh, but you can. I could use it as chapter art. <laughs> Every so often, my daughter walks by my iMac and helpfully presses the little button that spreads all the windows across the screen and then laughs. Unfortunately, that doesn't actually expand all the tabs, so you don't really get the full glory of of why I need 32 gigabytes of RAM on my desktop. What I like about this is that it's basically like I could uh, use my computer slightly differently or I could throw money at the problem, and I, I respect that. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, I feel like I'm old enough now to know that there are certain sorts of things I'm not about to do differently. <laughs> Fair enough. Liz doesn't have it yet, but she will do when we record our filler episode, probably. Yeah, I mean, if we decide we're going to do an episode uh, based around if I ran the Zoocon, ooh, maybe that's foreshadowing, then I will just go and buy it. Yes. So, but thank you very much, Tammy, for your uh, kind offer. I think if it wasn't available as a PDF, we would have all enthusiastically taken Tammy up on, on her offer. But because it is available as a PDF, uh, we are all internet gremlins. I mean, I would, except that bringing a copy to EasterCon is, spoiler alert, not going to be useful to me either. <gasps> Liz. Oh, Liz. Liz, 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 Liz. Liz. It's a long way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I believe they have aircraft in the future. Oh, yes. Now, we had a letter of comment from um, a listener called Liz Batty. Uh, Liz, do you want to read out the letter of comment from Liz? What? You wrote us a letter of comment. About the future and dates. Oh, I did write you a letter of comment about the future. Yes. The letter of comment to say was that while I proudly proclaimed uh, on last episode that I was in the year 2565, I am actually in the year 2566. What? No listeners noticed, but it is basically like how you will habitually write 2022 for a few months after it's become 2023. It's like that, except worse. So when does the Thai year flip over? Oh, 1st of January. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, they have big, big, big parties. Bangkok is one of the... Um 
cities that we go to at the New Year, at the Zoom New Year party. Very nice. Because there's always lots of stuff going on. It's fireworks, basically, yeah. We also had some letters of comment from actual listeners. We also heard from Christopher J. Garcia. Yay. Uh, he sent us a lock on episode something like 72-ish. Yep, that's right. Correct. Well done, Chris. I mean, it is 72-ish. That is correct. If you said it was episode 72, you would have been wrong. Uh, yeah, and it also says they have haggis in a can. It's good. It's good stuff. Uh, I assume it's vegetarian haggis in a can. I don't know if it's vegetarian haggis in a can. It's got to be, right? Because they're not allowed the meaty one because of the lungs. Well, I think they are. They're just not allowed. It's not the lungs, it's the brains. And I think you can get haggis in America now. I, you, it's just not necessarily made to a traditional Scottish recipe. We're probably going into too much haggis at this point. One of my pals who is in California posted a picture of her child holding an enormous haggis, which was an enormous meat haggis. Um, it may also be the brains, but it is definitely the lungs. Lungs are illegal to eat in the United States of America. So anyway, the, the point is that they're using different bits of sheep. I think I think British haggis may no longer have, have brains in this as well. Yeah, I don't think it does. Yes, I did it for it, yeah. Because I don't eat brain. Possibly possibly more timely. Chris also mentioned that they were putting out another uh, issue of Journey Planet uh, about Chinese science fiction. Time to coincide with the Chinese New Year, which is now out. So we can link to that in the show notes. That is the, the second part of their uh, special on China. Uh, with a ton of interesting-looking uh, interviews and articles. Nice. Chris also says that he thinks there should be a smoffish RPG system based off GURPS, and words cannot adequately express how much I disagree with that statement. So I'm not going to try, but we can hash it out at a convention, Chris. I, I feel like that's a, a con- Next time, you should put these things on a little list, and next time you interview Chris for the podcast, we should... We should actually have these topics as just have like topics in a barrel that we can pick out and talk about. It would be dreadfully unfair to ask Chris about things he's said in the past. And Chris also says he bought a palette of board games. Yes. But and it was rubbish. I don't think my palette of board games would oh I mean my palette of board games probably would have been rubbish, but it wouldn't necessarily be that sort of, I'm still a bit sad about the palette of board games. I've put it down as my when I have a future organised house so that I have like an entire spare room in which I could put a palette of board games for, for, for sifting and managing, then, then maybe I will. But obviously if I had an entire spare room and I started buying things like a palette of board games, I soon would not have an entire spare room. I'd have a room full of junk again. So, you know. I wasn't going to say that. I know what I'm like. So, so I'm glad someone else did. We also heard from Erwin Hirsch, who asks whether Alison has moved house. I haven't moved house, but foreshadowing, I've been thinking a lot about the process of getting ready for the later part of your life um, over the last few weeks. And one of the things it struck me that is that at some point we're going to want to move house. And when we do that, we are not going to want to have a house full of rubbish that we don't use. We are trying to go through everything in our house, keeping only the things that we need, use or love and um, getting rid of everything else and when things don't satisfy one of those three categories kind of looking at them and going why am i keeping this uh, also foreshadowing and and also i would strongly recommend that a time when you absolutely don't have to move any time in the next few years is a great time to do that because if you wait till the time when you are moving really soon you will do it much more for- effectively but it will also be way more stressful whereas it's not really stressful at all if you if you just do it bit by bit as you go along I'll let you know. We've cleared about 1% of the rubbish in our house so far. So, you know, there's a lot more to do. 
Yeah, I think that's the thing. I was going to say, no, it's quite good to have some like a time deadline to focus the mind. But I also think I have something like 10% of the amount of stuff you do. So maybe less. I wish I have a stuff off. That could be a that could be a filler episode. We're all on our phones and we all just count things like one thing, two thing. I have way more stuff than either of you, pretty sure. But yeah. I also have way less stuff than some people I know. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm just saying, you know, it's a lot more feasible to do everything in a like, oh, I'm moving in three months. I better get rid of a bunch of stuff when you have only 10% of the stuff. Or more, I probably had like 20% of the stuff and now I have 10% of the stuff and it is creeping slowly upwards again. The, lo- the longer you live in the same house, the more stuff you accumulate. Yeah. That is fair. Um, and then finally, we heard from Claire Briley of Croydon, who basically said, The legend that is Claire Briley, says her local bar. <laughs> um, says that the poem by Sandra was spectacular, and the only things that were bad about it were me and Alison, which is fair. Basically, she says it could only have been improved by full on performance accents from Alison or John. And that, that is true. I did not do that. I just tried to read it out. Basically, I shot for acceptable rather than failing to achieve amazingness. I think Alison did better than me. I did go for what I went for was a an accent that had some of the rhythms of Stanley Holloway without actually trying to do that in a way that would come over as a caricature. So I don't know whether I managed it or not. Um, but anyway, I can't do accents. I feel my enjoyment would not have been improved by having you do comedy accents. I'm just going to say. <laughs> well, Liz and Liz is actually like extremely familiar with my comedy accents on account of how I used to use them when we played Arkham Horror the card game together. So um, <laughs> Liz is familiar with the level to which they enhance your um, experience or not. <laughs> <laughs> So we'd like to introduce you all to our regular segment of Why is the Chengdu World Gone Such a Shower? Is that all we have to say about Chengdu? For this week. There have been various reporting. I think Fast 770 has done some sterling work and Liz uh, posted the images of the proposed museum in our chat. Liz, do you want to talk about this first i can try and give an overview so essentially we were saying last week how you know the chengdu Worldcon had a few things they needed to do and it didn't appear that there had been any updates for ages and the website wasn't really very good and you couldn't join and all this well they've solved at least one of these problems and they've solved it by uh, entirely changing the date of the Worldcon and the site where the Worldcon will be held hey so they Sort of announced, which which I would just say solves the problem of the fact that site selection should open soon because that is tied to the date of the Worldcon and therefore it will now open and close later than originally intended. But basically they sort of just put out like an announcement on Twitter saying, by the way, the Worldcon will now be in October, the 18th to 22nd at the Chengdu Science Fiction Museum in Jingrong Lake, Pidu District, Chengdu. And we'll put some links to pictures in the show notes, but it looks like a fantastic building, except that I have realised that all the fantastic building pictures are like those nice 3D renderings you get of buildings because they, when they're like in the planning stages, and that's because the new Chengdu Science Fiction Museum has not yet finished being built. On the hand, it does look like a spaceship. I mean, it looks amazing. So if it actually looks like that in real life, it will look 
well cool and possibly be one of the like the coolest venues for a Worldcom, especially if it is like all in that one place. Narrator, it wouldn't. So I have been told that the Chinese are extremely good at getting buildings up fast. I I think it is interesting to see whether they will be able to achieve this. I mean, so it'll be interesting because you know, of course, the the picture of the building has all the kind of landscaping and foliage back around the building, which, you know, may not necessarily be all completely finished. But I suspect if the building does look anything like it looks on the renderings, it will be nice. However, does this mean it was a good idea to move the date and site? Well, I guess if you're going to go to this new site and it's not actually built yet, then you have to change the dates. But there's a, a further post on File 770 who've done, been doing a load of reporting on this, so we're going to link to all their reporting, where it sounds like it's not really clear kind of why this decision was made or who made this decision or kind of who in China is running things. And so I think there's a bit of sort of general unhappiness there because this does, I think, move it out of the holidays for university students. And so university students will have a much harder time arriving. So they announced that the dates and the site would be changed to this shiny new place. I did manage to find it on Google Maps eventually, although it, uh, I will confess it took me a little while because I was using Google Maps. It turns out Google Maps is not very good in China. And so if you didn't turn on the satellite view, it just had some roads. And then I turned on the satellite view and I think I found like a man-made lake where it is. I looked at a quick look at the hotels nearby and they do look, you know, super nice and the rates were super affordable. On the other hand, it's not very clear because I don't know enough about the site, how you get from the science fiction museum to the hotels and so on. So I'm hoping there'll be like a lot more information put out. This is the sort of time when you want people to be planning ahead if they're going to come to your convention. That is currently difficult because China just reopened. Most of the flights haven't restarted. I don't think it's actually possible to get a visa yet for tourism. But if any of that does restart and they'd like people to go, they probably do need to be saying things like, this is where the hotel is. This is where the site actually is on a map. This is how you will get between them. This is how you, you know, apply for a visa and whatever, you know, if you need letters to be provided, this is what we can do, etc, etc. Probably some of this, the basic stuff that you would expect to be ready to go with your, you know, new site information is not there yet. So we'll see. And they also announced that they would be opening Hugo Award nominations soon um, and that you need to be a member of Chengdu Worldcon uh as a Whispers member, in order to nominate, if you're not already a member or a member of ShyCon, uh, you can apparently now purchase a Whispers membership through their website with a credit card. We have not tried this because we all have memberships already, but it has been verified by uh, you know a friend of ours on Discord that you can apparently do this. This is not very useful information because if you haven't already joined, by the time you listen to this podcast, it will be too late to join and nominate, but you will then still be able to join and vote. Yes. I think it's particularly sad that students may not be able to go as it's the students who were responsible for getting the Worldcon for China. They they really mobilised all the students, all the student science fiction clubs in all the universities to get the vote out. That was part of what they did. And they had lots of pictures on their website of like student clubs in different states. They bring the, bring the Worldcon to China and stuff like that and talking about how much, how excited they were to be going. So I think... That's particularly sad. Well, and it's interesting because last week we talked about how China can get the Worldcon wherever they, whenever they want. And what's really interesting is by doing this, the, the way they did that was by mobilising their student vote. 
and the students like from what we can tell from peering into the chinese internet the students seem to be really really unhappy with this which is entirely understandable because it basically massively disenfranchises them because many of them won't be able to attend now uh, both from the perspective of it's at the wrong time of year for them and the location is much harder to get to and so it's like well i don't understand it just seems like a giant own goal from that perspective because yeah i don't know why you'd annoy the people who got you where you were it's very strange because the tempting thing with this is to assume that they've done it for reasons that make sense to Chinese attendees but don't make sense to us. But like everything we're seeing from people who are Chinese attendees uh, is also very annoyed. Well, I think it probably makes sense to the Chinese government and to support their and the Chengdu Tourist Board. And we know that the Chengdu Tourist Board was a big part of so, so quite a lot of people involved in the bid were people who worked full time in the Chengdu Tourist Board or, or equivalent thereof, which is kind of a bit of government. And I don't pretend to know anything about how the Chinese government works. So, but but there's clearly there is something that is semi-official about this team in a way that you wouldn't see normally for a World Cup. But it could be even simpler. I mean, it could be that they had a plan to use a particular venue, which maybe would be quite expensive. If they're having difficulty getting sponsorship or indeed many members and this venue was, you know, cheaper or, you know, they could do them a good deal because it's a great cross promotion with a science fiction museum, maybe kind of for financial reasons they had to go for it. I mean, I think the thing is we don't really know and we probably will never find out except, you know, maybe in five years time a Smofcon, you know, we'll find it all out on a panel or in the bar. But yeah, there could be lots of reasons. It's just since we don't know, we kind of are free to make up any reason we like. So it doesn't seem to have been a choice made because the attendees wanted them to. So we know at least that there is something funky going on somewhere because it's not just like, it's not like DC where they were like, we can have it in August, but if we move to December, we might be able to have more of an in-person convention. And like they asked the members, like it is, it definitely isn't coming from the members. Oh yeah, it's definitely not a case, you know, like, for you know dc did i think everything they could where they went and surveyed the members and said okay what difference would this make to you you know what would you like to say but i think it's also you know just because of the various translation barriers we're probably only ever hearing from a subset of the membership and i think nearly everything that worldcon does you'll be able to find a subset of the membership who dislike the decision generally speaking you'll be able to find a subset of the octothorpe team who dislike the decision so you know yes uh that may be true but yeah, it does, it does seem like, you know, they had a lot of, you know, it is a big issue if you had a lot of support from students who essentially invested a bunch of money in and get themselves to get themselves set up for voting at Discon and now can't attend. And I don't know if you can transfer a Chengdu membership, but we know you can't transfer Whispers memberships anymore, right? They probably can't transfer their membership to someone else and recoup much of the cost. Yeah, I mean, it is worth noting that you can't transfer a Wuspus membership, but you also can't buy a membership that doesn't include Wuspus membership, except, of course, you can for Chengdu. So if Chengdu wanted to, they'd just do it and hang it all. Which is like, I do, I do like, which is not necessarily me criticising Chengdu. It is a uh, observation of the facts of how Chengdu and the Wuspus constitution are so far inter- intersecting. While we, are, while we are talking about memberships, though, so, so the Chinese students have attending memberships of the Worldcon because they were um, supporting and voting members of Discon. Now, although I don't think there's any doubt about 
whether they were individual voters. I think it's very clear that they were, which is part of why they're angry now. I'm not convinced they paid for their memberships. I think that was all coming from a central block of money, which, as we know, the the, the WUSFUS rules do not forbid. Um, So so they may be upset that they have their attending memberships and may not be able to use them, but I don't think they necessarily paid for or paid for them, or many of them paid for them. So, you know. I want to talk a little bit about the architecture. Um, This is a very exciting statement building. Uh, You know, it's a deed building. There aren't that many of them still. It does look as if it's being built just for the Worldcon. So just kind of as a prestige building that is kicked off by the Worldcon in the way that you might get for a a World's Fair or the Great Exhibition or something like that. That, This is pretty exciting stuff for the Worldcon to be involved in. It's um, kind of strange and not the sorts of things we normally do. Normally we are in in hotels that have been around for a very long time or conference centres that have that, where we are just one one visitor amongst many. I think that's quite strange. I mean, when you say built for the Worldcon, you mean it exists and it will host a Worldcon as one of its first events? No, I don't think so. I think it is being built for the Worldcon. Because they've they've named the buildings after Wusfus marks. So no, I, I think it's much closer to the uh, Olympic Park mode than it is to a i mean i might be wrong yeah i think this is an olympic park model where do we get that information from because i think if there's a something you know written in chinese and we translate it and it says hugo awards theater doesn't necessarily mean the theater is being named for the hugo awards that makes sense the fact that the mock-up of the building in one of the file 770 awards has a massive sign on the side saying hugo award yeah architecture daily this is yeah but if i go to a convention it's got usually you know gonna have a great big sign up and things so i I don't know i think it'd be interesting to see what we get but but they never i've never been to a convention where they've taken down the sign that says excel and replaced it with a sign that says hugo awards i've been to one where they've got a banner but this doesn't look like a banner this looks like it's on the building yeah i think i don't know i think we're reading a lot into a very small thing on the building, which could potentially be temporary signage for the Worldcom. So I don't know if this gonna, is going to be actually branded after Worldcom service marks. Sorry, was for service marks. Certainly, if I was going to bet money, and I'm not, but if I was going to bet money, the way it is described does not seem like it's temporary. And it may be, it may be that every time this comes up and all of the renderings are just, I'm getting the wrong end of the stick, but all of the text and all of the renderings are very much designed to get me to pull that end of that stick. Uh, and it might be that that isn't what they're doing, but I would quite like to know that for sure. And if they are doing it, it is a giant enough problem that I feel like me stating my opposition to it early and often uh, is probably good. I absolutely do not think they should be using these marks in this way. And, and if it's not clear, I think it's quite cool. I, I think it's quite cool, and I think you could probably do it in a way that did not use the mark. You should work with the mark protection committee to find a way of saying, oh. This is a building that has been created to hold the Worldcon, and then will go on to be Chengdu's Science Fiction Museum. I think that's completely cool, and they should find a way with the Mark Protection Committee to to celebrate the fact that it held the Worldcon as its first event, provided it's still still not a building site, which of course it might be. Agree. I think that if the Chinese government or the Chengdu Tourist Board, or whoever has made this decision, has basically decided to appropriate our marks in order to um drive tourism to their area that is crappy and i think if it was not i think if it was a u.s state doing this you'd be up in arms 
So I think that is a bit of a double standard. I think, no, I think I could 100% get behind. It, it, the trick is finding the marks right. So you say, you basically say it's the, 20, the 2023 World Science Fiction Convention building, you know, like the, like the, the Royal Festival Hall. Well, no, because China is currently not doing it by asking permission. I tell them, I tell them to get onto the, I tell them to get onto the Mark Protection Committee, which I think they should be doing. Don't get me wrong. I'm sure they are. I'm not sure they are. We should ask them. if you're on the Mark Protection Committee, you should get in touch. The Mark Protection Committee learned about this when it was released in File Seven Seventy. I know this for a fact. Well, I think everyone learned about this when it was released in File Seven Seventy. Yes, and so this partly links to the whole thing about copyright in China which is quite a big deal and eventually eventually will probably get sorted out, but hasn't been yet, which is that there really isn't any. So that makes everything, you know, we talk about our understanding of intellectual property and property marks and Chinese artists and designers and manufacturers and everybody really is like, well, that's very interesting, but that's not how we do it in China. I mean, I hope, I hope Liz is right and that I'm reading too much into it. I just, at the moment, it doesn't seem like there's any... I don't know. Everything seems to be leaning in the same direction. Yeah, that that also means, of course, that our marks don't apply in China because China has no copyright law in the way that we think of it. It feels like it's a thing that's certainly worth the Mark Protection Committee going. Uh, hang on, are you? Did you think about talking to us? But I also wonder. You know, we have said how like it looks amazing in the rendering, but the rendering also seems to have drones everywhere shooting this ethereal blue glow into the sky. You know, I wonder if the person who is in charge of making some nice 3D models got excited and looked at a website. I, th- I think it's worth like doing that, but maybe waiting to see what it actually does look like when it's constructed and seeing. If they construct it with that on it, that's staying there. The, the, the point is to make sure that our opinions on this are known before that point, not after. Oh, I just don't think that'll make any difference. So, <laughs> Well, maybe not. I mean, but nothing we i mean and that could be might as well wrap the podcast up right because we're just talking i don't have any power i don't have like a link to the communist party to register my complaints we're just talking about our opinions let's let's not pull on the thread of does it matter what we think i know i know i know but i'm saying you know i don't really see whether you know if we disagree with it now or if we disagree with it in eight months time i don't think it'll make really a lot of difference i just think we haven't really seen what it's actually gonna look like and it's worth investigating i'm not too fussed about some 3D renderings at this point. I mean, we started this segment saying, you know, well, the renderings look very nice, but, you know, the actual museum may look completely not like that when we get there. I, I think they look like artist renderings of a building, and my, my experience is that the actual building in real life rarely, rarely matches the artist's depictions in beautiful 3D renderings. But the main structure's been topped out. It, it looks like it might happen. That looks like... Oh, it could, like, yeah, no, it could well. How many months is that? It's not that. It's eight months, nine months. So that's a segue onto Alison's guff trip. <laughs> it is. It is. So last time you shared news of your guff trip with us, Alison, you were planning to go after King Charles III's coronation, but that changed, and then Chengdu changed. I was. I was planning to free the country the day after the coronation because. The Australian NatCon is happening, I understand. It still doesn't have anything that you could describe as a website. But I believe that the NatCon is conflux will be happening in person from 29th of September to 1st of October, I think, are the dates. And we've had some confirmation of that from people. And so as there is an Australian National Convention happening this year, 
in Australia. I feel like my, my guff trip needs to coincide with it. Um, so that is what we are planning, currently planning. I'm still doing the previous plan, which is to fly to Perth, travel west to east across Australia, go to the NACON, then go to New Zealand, visit at least Wellington and probably also Auckland, and then fly home. Oh. But it is not impossible that I could fly home via Chengdu for the WorldCon, which is 18th, 20, 22nd of October. So we're thinking about it. And I think all the things that Liz has said about not actually having the ability to book flights, it not being anywhere very convenient, even in Chengdu, it being impossible to get visas and so on, probably will put paid to the scheme because I probably will want to have my flights booked before before those things become clear. But I mean, I might just book some of the other flights and leave it open. I don't know. I am I am getting help with flight booking from Claire Brawley, who is very good at flight booking because flight booking gives me the most hideous heebie-jeebies of anxiety. And I am very worried that about the whole business of booking a complicated itinerary. It seems impossible to me. But But, you know, so theoretically, I could go to China on my guff trip, which would be kind of wild. But yeah, if not, I'd like to come to Bangkok, please, Liz, and see you. Oh. What if I want to go to China? <gasps> Liz, are you going to China? I mean, probably not. But again, it's like one of those things where currently it is impossible to plan it. And so I can say, no, I'm not going. It's impossible to plan. If it becomes suddenly possible, then I might have to rethink it, depending on whether we actually see a picture of the building, or whether it looks cool. No, I mean, it, it very much depends, doesn't it? I mean, I suspect just for Alison's benefit that there is absolutely no sensible routing from the UK to Australia, which goes directly via Chengdu. You'll have to do it as a side trip anyway. Yeah, I suspect it won't be possible, unless you want to book a trip with a kind of wobbly date or with a massive layover somewhere. I don't think it will work, but I guess it's theoretically possible. So then it's time for Bangkok instead. Yeah, it is a possible stopover. Again, it may not be the most sensible stopover given current, you know, state of the flights in the world and so on. So I think you have to see. Is you too reasonable? Yeah. So so my decisions get slightly different here because although obviously I have a duty to spend the guff money carefully, it is the guff money and it's the sort of thing that might be quite exciting for the fan fund. You know, so it's an exciting opportunity for the fan fund. So it's not ludicrous. To segue to, from Guff to uh, talking more generally about fan funds, in 2007, there was a one-off fan fund that sent Chris O'Shea to the Worldcon in Japan. Does anyone know if there is a Chinese equivalent being planned for 2023? I have not heard anything about one. I think it would be a lovely idea. I am not personally going to get involved in it for reasons that's fair because it's a lot of effort and you've got another fan fund to administer and run and like do and i'm on, I'm, and I'm on the east con committee which is the exact time when you would want to get this ready <laughs> and and my life's been exciting this year so you know that yeah no those are all very uh fair comments so i think it would be a lovely idea if you're out there in um podcast land and you don't have enough fanac at the moment um then um, this would be a great thing to set up. Also, Chris O'Shea, where's your trip report? Just saying. I guess it's a nice idea, but I think you will not meet with great enthusiasm. And also, like, it's, again, very difficult to plan things when you don't know 
who will actually be able to go. So I suspect that's not going to happen. No, yeah, I, 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 I mean, I'm not saying. Yeah, I just say I, I think even if you are enthusiastic about running it, I would, you know, get some, you know, try and take the general temperature of fandom for, you know, giving money for that. They might be like, eh, nah. Maybe then we could have the Fan Funds Theatre. Is that a, a a trademark? No, Fan Funds you can do whatever you like with. All right. So we don't have any trademarks. I mean, there's customer practice. So you have the Taff Room and the Guff Room and the Duff Room. The Guff Room would be very smelly. <laughs> Wouldn't it all be a confusing way to name, like, your uh, function rooms? Yeah. Okay, picks, picks. Do you want to go first, John? Yeah, I very rarely go first. This is a treat. About probably two years ago or so, I started trying to watch a movie every week with my darling wife because I'm not actually very good at wanting to watch movies. And uh, my wife very much loves movies. And so I was like, aha, I clearly need to make an effort and watch more movies. And so I've been watching a movie a week. Yeah, like, like I say, for probably about the last two or three years. And that's been very good. And obviously at the end of December, beginning of January, you start watching the movies you didn't watch from the previous year uh, that you think might be on the Hugo Ballot and other things. And so with a view to this, we watched Prey. Prey is the latest entry in the Predator franchise, and it is really good. It is a movie which understands what made the first Predator a good movie, which is lovely. The other thing it does very interestingly is it twists the narrative. So in the original, it's Arnold Schwarzenegger and Carl Weathers. It's it's kind of good, but it's kind of very it's a very surface level film. There's a there's an alien and there's two very burly men and the burly men have guns and let's see what happens. This one is a Native American woman who uh, wants to be seen as a hunter by her tribe, and she is the kind of main protagonist of the movie and so it kind of uses all the things the original predator did did very well um but it kind of layers on top of that a commentary about colonization and about sort of the hunter's relationship to the prey uh and it's very interesting in that sense in a way that i don't think the original movie is uh and so i actually think this is probably better than the original predator by quite a way i really enjoyed it i thought it was very very good um and yeah i highly enjoyed watching it i would recommend it it is on disney plus probably not for liz but for most of our listeners no it isn't disney plus for me well it's on hot star disney it's just very tight just very tight movie everything everything was there because it needed to be there for something to happen and that was i like that kind of movie i'm gonna do sneaky second pick we also watched last night invasion of the body snatchers which is a movie from 1956 googles mm-hmm. did you like it yes it's bloody brilliant i don't know if anyone here has seen invasion of the body snatchers but yeah no it's really really good um firstly it has more than one woman in and i don't just mean two women like there's loads of them uh admittedly i don't think it passes the beckdale test but it was 1956 so meh. but it's kind of it's just incredibly tense and all of the characters do things that you can imagine those characters might do in that situation and like it's just so good um and very much better than a lot of movies i've seen from the list of classic genre movies we are working our way down uh, this one really holds up so uh, i enjoyed it greatly that's really good films yeah films are good so anyway, i'll be putting prey on my list for the hugos 
Yeah, we, we are going to talk about um, the things we're putting on our Hugo list at some point, but not this week. Nope. All right. Liz, do you want to go next? Um, I don't know if I really have a pick. Shall we just let you have two? Sorry, is that not in the spirit of things? That That's it. I mean, shall we just go with John's second pick um, as being a pick? What I should have done is picked for you and made you talk about Invasion of the Body Snatchers, having potentially not seen it or not seen it recently. Yeah, that would have been quite funny because I have indeed not seen it. It's really good, Liz. Highly recommend. I feel like I saw uh, okay. it about 35 years ago, but I was thinking about another film I saw about 35 years ago, and I could literally remember two things about it, which was that it had a submarine in it and somebody had a beard. Hunt for Red October. Hunt for Red October? Correct! <laughs> this could be a game show at a convention. People give clues to, to movies using like the least information they possibly can. <laughs> I mean, it is one of those games where you give the least information you possibly can and you get points for everyone who gets it right. But, you know, you lose points if everyone gets it right or whatever. Dixit, which has the mechanic where if nobody gets it, you don't do well. And if everybody gets it, you don't do well. You have to have to be somewhere in the middle. Have you played Dixit, Liz? I have played Dixit, I think, once. Not a lot. Someone invented a version of this that's like the Elon Musk game where you're all trying to, like come up with an invention and you all know what it is i'll have to, I'll have to find this but uh there, there was definitely like an elon musk game that was very funny that someone invented on twitter hang on i'm pretty sure i've got it on my computer somewhere put it on discord somewhere let's see if i can find it sadly there's a lot of things for um elon musk <laughs> being rubbish that probably segues quite nicely into so so um my pick so um, how to say this in a way that's not going to generate a vast number of sad letters. Don't don't write, guys. My mother died last week, so and this has kind of been in train for a little while. So I've had a bit of a torrid time so far in 2023, but hopefully it will start to get better now. And one of the things I've done to deal with this is engage in a lot of sorting behaviour and craft projects and things of that kind. And, and I have discovered print and play games, and they're amazing. Who knew? And it turns out that you, so the idea is that people who want to sell the games cheaply or who are prototyping games that might not be in a finished form or who just like to do a lot of games far more than you could ever ship through real publishers, like to release print and play games either for free or for bobbins. And then you at home cut them and stick them out, uh, cut them out and stick them together and play your games. and. It turns out I really like them. I like both. I like two different sorts of these. I like the ones that where you don't actually, if you're me, have to print anything at all because you can play them entirely on your iPad because they are designed as kind of roll and write as a typical game where you roll dice and then mark things off on a game sheet having rolled them. And I have played dozens of these and some of them are amazing and some of them are terrible. And and a lot of them are kind of somewhere in the middle. And then there, you also get games where you do actually have to cut out and stick together stuff. And it turns out that I really like that kind of cutting out stuff. There's a rabbit hole here. There are many, I think rabbit hole is a small thing. They're kind of like great big kangaroo holes where you have these, you can, you can spend an enormous amount of money printing and cutting out and um, making decks of cards where you work out how to make them as close as possible to real cards. If this is you, then you probably just need to buy board games. But what I'm doing at the moment is making fairly cheap sets of print and play games 
and then saying, well, if I play them a certain number of times, I will then go and buy the actual box set. But some games I really like. I like a game called Polyhedral Park Planner, which I think John recommended to me, which is a game where you... I did. You have a... Um, there is a convention happening in your city, your Chengdu, say, and um, you have been charged with making a park that has an extremely beautiful, I don't know, convention hotel in the middle of it, and you have to put other park elements around your game. And I like this one because it is the sort of game where you can have n- numerous players and they all play with exactly the same board and exactly the same dice rolls and nevertheless make completely different games and um, parks out of it. And then you all compare your parks at the end and go, ooh, that's interesting. And also, ooh, Jonathan has won because Jonathan is better at working out how to do this than everybody else or whatever. And for those ones, you don't even have to have friends because you can put the die rolls in a list behind a spoiler tag on a website and then people can go and all play the same one and compare notes. So, so you know, or you could just play on your own because there are solo rules and this is great. And another game I really like is in this one is one called Chronicles of Stampadia where somebody on the website has um, is procedurally generating a dungeon for you to explore every day. And there's a little bit of legacy because... Um, some of the things that you do on one day will have an effect on the following day, which is, I mean, quite like even more of that. I kind of look look at that game and go, oh, you could really, you could really lean into that much more with a roguelike that with a it's a board game or it's a roll and write, but you could you could actually have lots of legacy material working on the website. Of course, nobody's making any money, so who knows? There's only so much you can do without making money. Um, and then in the print and plays, another game John recommended in a very thoughtful way is a solo journaling role-playing game, which is called Why the F star 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 did they keep this, where you journal and develop a story of why your imaginary relative kept a load of junk in the house. And, And that's cutting a bit close to the bone at the moment, but it's still a very interesting game. And today, I discovered that they've got a competition, Board Game Geek, which is a website full of board games, has um, a competition at the moment for in-hand games. Now, I don't know. I understand that this this tabletop gaming covers both games, role-playing games and board games, and that's and even some dexterity games like, you know, Caron and things like that. And those games are all played on tables. But in-hand games don't even need a table, and I'm not sure they're technically covered. But anyway, so I've now tried playing it, cutting up and making in-hand games, which you can actually play e.g. In the car, if you're stuck on a very long and boring car journey, you can be you can be making making and playing little games. And, and this one is called Galdor's Grip, which I think is a great name for a game that you play in your hand all of the time. I, I didn't want to pick. I mentioned some particular cards, but this really is a pick about how the entire hobby is amazing. And if you are a complete cheapskate, you do not need to spend any money at all, apart from obviously on your iPad Pro and Apple Pencil. Obviously, it supports small gamers, so you can often buy these games for the price of a cup of coffee. Some of them are demos for games that you can actually go and buy. And this is a good way of finding out and learning a lot about what sorts of games you like, because if you play a load of different sorts of game genres for not very much money and in not very much time, it's very easy to work out what sorts of things you like and what sorts of things you do not like. print play games, they're awesome. I would just like to... Um note that i suggested that game before allison's mother died uh i didn't i didn't hear the news and be like this journaling game is for you to be fair he suggested that game while we were pet clearing out my parents house so you know yeah well that i think is just 
Well, all right, fair enough. Yeah, but you're also clearing out your own house, so... Yeah, and I'm also clearing out my own house. I want everything in my house to be some, something that pe- somebody could pick up and go, oh, I know exactly why there are 38 print-and-play games in little in little jiffy bags here. It's because mum went through this really difficult patch after her own mother died, and she just made a print-and-play game every day for a month and then stopped. Now I'm just wondering, are you gonna are you going to keep these forever? Or are you actually going through them and getting rid of the ones you print out and stick together and realise you don't actually like very much or will not play again? I I haven't yet, but what I'm going to do is say, here's like a batch, right? And compared with big box games, I have to... That was, sorry, that was a visual clue. Sorry for everybody on the podcast. Um, But they, I'm typically putting them into a... A6 size bag and that's enough for like a deck of cards and the rules and a and a sticky label and they don't take up very much space. One of the one of the things that's actually discouraged me from giving some of these game designers money is that I, I have my tiny little print and play game and I go, oh, but there's a there's a box game of this. And then I look at the size of the box game and I go, Oh, why are they not selling me a game in a box? I mean, I don't know the answer. Game, game economics are really complicated, but I, I do like tiny games. You're much more likely to sell me your game if it's small, in general. That's fair. I mean, print and play games are good. No, no, no. Some of them are execrable. Oh, well, that's true. I think we should clear here. I've played some absolutely appalling games that really hardly function as games. In, in you know, But that's I still quite like it. I like, I like a lot about a hobby where you can just play loads and loads and loads of different games. It's like listening to music. Some of the music you listen to will be terrible as well if you listen to lots of different music. But it doesn't mean that listening to lots of different music isn't fun. And also there's somewhere, there's even one where I've paid money for, I'm not going to name it, but every time I look at the files and think about the amount of work that would have to be done to actually get it to the point where I understood the rule set and was playing it, I go, oh no, maybe I could just play a really short one instead. I think... I might be wrong, Liz. I found Steve D's game from 2018, which is called Elon Musk's iPod Submarine, where one player secretly writes down a terrible problem the world is facing, and they have to sum it up in six worlds or left. You write this problem on all the pieces of paper except one, and on the one that you don't write on, you just write Elon Musk. Uh, And then you put all the pieces of the paper in a hat, and each player draws one randomly. Uh, And then every player has to pitch their two-noun solution to the problem. And so Elon Musk has to basically pitch two nouns without knowing what the problem is. And you've got to try and work out who Elon Musk is because of iPod Submarine. I mean, it's very similar to the game The Chameleon and like other folk games. Um, but I think I would uh, I would play that game. Um, I'll put a link to iPod Submarine in the show notes. I think it was iPod Submarine that I was thinking of. Or someone's done a variation on iPod Submarine where it's not... Maybe the world's problems, but an invention for something you have to come up with. But yeah, I think it was very similar to that. Like one person is, you know, kind of hoping that no one realizes you're just saying random words put together. And yeah, it's that like, you know, you need at least one person to not get it to get the points kind of aspect. Yeah. Yeah, it was the, it was definitely the, the, the iPod submarine game I was thinking of. That was the Octthought podcast. And it's goodbye from me. It's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me.
Well, because guff means fart, Alison. I know, I know, I know. That's the episode title. Brilliant. I'm amazed you have not used that before, actually. I was. I thought you should go for it. Let's not pull on the thread of it doesn't matter what we think. <laughs> I mean, uh, I just, I don't, I mean, yeah, it's tricky, isn't it? Uh, really, you know, gotta gotta keep it quiet. Um, yeah, maybe I'm just more apathetic about anything having meaning. <laughs> the theme music for this episode was "Fanfare for Space" by Kevin McLeod and Competech.com, used under a Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 license. This podcast will end at the beep. Beep. <laughs>